Hello and welcome to the Still Space Podcast. I'm your host, Executive Coach Mary Lee Gannon, where my guests and I share fun and simple strategies to manage yourself so that you can show up the way you want in work relationships in life and not default to past behaviors that leave you disappointed. The Still Space is where you learn to take an intentional moment to challenge habitual assumptions that hold you back with enlightened truths that boost your genius. We transform drama, resentment, doubt, unmet expectations, and self-sabotage to executive presence, self-control, deep sleep, healthy choices, and more connection with people who matter while it still matters. It's time. I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me. Hi, friend, and welcome to the Still Space Podcast, episode number 37, When Your Personality Style Works Against You. We all want to make a good impression that makes us feel welcomed and warm and that we belong. And there are lots of personality tests and algorithms that you can take that will tell you tenets of your style so that you can build your self-awareness of how you are perceived and harness your strengths to succeed. And these tests are good for building self-awareness, but don't get hung up on the different names and acronyms that are the result of these. Just notice what you are learning about your tendencies. These quizzes and surveys tell you a lot about your strengths. My clients take many of them to build that awareness and understand themselves better. But this episode, we are going to concentrate and help you fine tune what to do when your strengths can become a weakness. And this happens with everybody. The way you choose to make a good impression on people will depend on that individual's motivation style. And this is why I caution my clients to be careful with these self-assessments because they don't really help you understand what to do when someone doesn't have your style. And some of them talk about that, but you're never going to remember all of the writings that you see when you're self-aware and can just be aware of you and where your motivation is and what you're thinking and how you're projecting, you can start to become more aware of other people and what they're thinking and what fear might lie behind what they're saying. All of us are likely to be a mix of more than one style, more than one type or another. However, if you can spot a person's dominant motivation, what you think is behind the way they're thinking, acting, and what they're saying, then there are things you can do to create a positive relationship with that person that will give both you and them what they need. So today I want to concentrate on, well, what happens when your dominant style might get in the way of what you truly want. And here's a couple of examples. You might have an influencer strength or you might have a dominant strength and you find that sometimes that puts people off 
or you might find that you're more of a caregiver, more uh, trying to help people, more of a rescuer. And sometimes that doesn't engage your team and help them self-actualize. Or you might find that sometimes you get a little mm, persecutor-like or like a bully when you need to have your way. And you know that works against you, but sometimes it's helpful if you're in a very deep style negotiation. But it's turning people off and you're finding you're not getting invited to things. People don't want to have you around. So sometimes our style might serve us in the long run, but in the short run, we're finding that we're not happy because it's holding us back. And it might even hold you back, not necessarily just with people, but in your own work. So if you tend to be very dominant in your work, you might miss some cues along the way that are uh, very obvious to others, but you're not seeing them because you're only set on the goal. You're missing the journey along the way. Or if you're a really good listener, you spend maybe too much time listening and not actually getting to the work. Or the action that you're hoping to succeed with is more passive action. So I'm going to give you a little exercise today that will help you more understand your motivation and where your strengths are, where your weaknesses may be, and how those weaknesses might end up getting in your way, even though you think they're strengths and what you can do about this to help yourself. Let me give you an example of how this played out in my own leadership. I've always been a very strong leader, a very focused leader, a very strategic thinker, critical thinker. I have vision. I can execute on that vision. These are all strengths of mine. Along the way, I began to notice as I built my self-awareness and I became more mindful, I became certified in a number of things, UCLA Mindfulness Program, Executive Coaching Program, University Coaching Program, Harvard conference coaching program, et cetera, et cetera. I started to realize that this strength of mine sometimes showed up as a weakness because the people that were reporting to me, while they understood what they needed to do and they were productive, we weren't connected as a team. We weren't really caring about each other. We were all focused on what needed to be done. And so I realized along the way, what wasn't happening was the same influence I was building with the people external to my department that I needed to have good relationships with in order, we were in a, the, at the time a $10.4 million capital campaign in order to bring in this money. And we were successful at doing it. But along the way in the journey, the connectedness that we had with each other was not what I wanted from my team. And I really had to examine how this strength of mine that was very revered within the organization and I was being sought after by recruiters because I was very good at it, did not give me the 
peace and happiness that I wanted with the people I spent more time with during my day than anybody else in my life. And I had to drill down and realize a lot of things. Number one, that people are people, they're not robots. They're not there to report to you and do what you want. And in this analysis, what I realized is that's what I was doing to myself. I was calling upon myself to just be productive, to just be focused on what it needed to get done. And I didn't see myself as a human. I didn't have humanity for myself. Okay, so then I drill down a little bit lower. Okay, so what's the what's behind that? Why is that happening? And it was pretty clear to me. I had gone through an extremely difficult divorce. I went from being a stay-at-home mom with four children under seven who were, we were living the country club life. I had a child with a developmental disability, getting a lot of therapies. I had spent a lot of time working with her and the therapists on that. And then the rug got pulled out from under us. Um, the situation of my marriage was unpalatable and I had to file for divorce as a leap of faith. And then my ex-husband filed all of his businesses into bankruptcy. And a lot of you know this story. I had co-signed the loans for those businesses. So all of our marital property went down to, to the debt on these businesses. And then he just opened them up a week later under a different name. Meanwhile, the children and I are on welfare, food stamps, medical assistance. The house went to share of sale because that the whole amount of it then went towards the business debt. And we were poor. We were struggling. And I managed to land a very good CEO role very early. And I just wanted to make sure that these kids had what they needed. And I was going to make whatever needed to be raised. And I just forgot about myself as a human, as a girl, as a woman, as a person, not the roles that I was in, the mom, the leader, the president of this, the et cetera, et cetera. So I then understood what was going on, but I didn't know what to do about it. And I studied and learned and became much more self-aware. And I'm going to give you some tips today on what you can do to help understand the affect of your style and actionable practices to modify the behavior. We do what we do based on our motivations. We get better at the things we do often. In this way, our motivations quickly become our strengths. But here's the twist. Sometimes weaknesses are often strengths taken to the extreme. Your motivation toward action becomes the strength of directness, but taken to an extreme, you turn out to be dictatorial, maybe. Your motivation to care about people becomes the strength of supportiveness, which taken to an extreme becomes smothering. Your motivation to be thorough could become the strength of analysis, which serves you. But taken to the extreme, it could become nitpicky. So if you understand your strengths, you can also understand your weaknesses, at least how others perceive them. And here's a really good exercise. I can't encourage you enough to do this. Divide a sheet of paper into four columns. And then in the first column, reflect on your strengths. List your greatest strengths, those that you demonstrate both at work and at home. If you're finding this hard, ask others. 
how they would describe you. You can go back to any of the personality tests that you've already taken. You can think of you in your best self. What are you doing there? Do you have strategy? Are you a good listener? Are you able to see the root cause of things easily? Do you have compassion? So those are your strengths. Make a list of those in the first column. In the second column, identify your weaknesses by writing what each of those strengths would look like if it were taken to the extreme. So do you see the difference here? You're not going to say, oh, you know, I might be really good at listening, but I'm not really good at execution. Those two don't align. When I'm really bad at this strength of listening, that's what goes in the second column. There's a direct linear correlation between what is in the first column and what is in the second. So when you think back to the story that I just told you, I told you I'm a very good critical thinker, I'm a strategic thinker. Okay, that taken to its extreme for me, maybe not for somebody else, but for me means that sometimes I can be over-focused on the goal and the process and the execution, but not on the people, right? I've worked very hard on that in my career, and that hasn't been a problem for me for many years, but it certainly was early in my career as a new leader. I felt so much like I had to prove myself, prove, prove, prove. And the truth is, all I needed to be accountable to was me. So you're beginning to see the linear nature and the relationship between your strengths in their extreme becoming a weakness. Now, anticipate the extremism. In the third column, write down when you are most likely to take a strength to the extreme and make it a weakness. Is it during conflict? During times of stress? When you're in charge of something? The magic here, this sweet spot, is learning to anticipate the situations when this is most likely to happen so you can avoid them. So if you take the example that I told you about myself as an early leader in a CEO role, I know that my distancing from people comes when I am fearing, and this is really important, your strengths become a weakness when you are in a zone external of yourself, in discomfort, likely fearing something. Again, likely fearing something. And that's where we use your emotional intelligence in the still space to just pause and notice what is going on with me here. And for me, again, in the example that I used, it was when I felt threatened, specifically threatened about what? threatened that I wasn't going to be able to support my children, that I was going to fail at my work. And the, uh, this is right down the rabbit hole. There wasn't a likelihood of this, but that's what happens to us when we're trapped in fear, that I was going to lose my job, lose the respect of my children. My children would never go to college. And these were stories that I used to tell myself, trap myself in, and I only needed to manage myself just myself, not externalize it by raising more money and pushing my people hard. No, I needed to go inside myself to search inside myself for what was I thinking? What was I fearing? And just pause 
take a very deep breath and understand, oh, this is just my imagination. This is, quote, part of me, and I love this. You can use this anytime. This is just the part of me that gets afraid sometimes, which is a far cry different from why can't I stop doing this? That's not mindful. When we are judgmental of ourselves and others, we are not being mindful. We are trapped in an externalizing state when we need to go inside ourselves internally. And this is where all of the great leaders and the people that you like and like to listen to, Oprah, think of all the people that you could just listen to for hours. They know how to go inside themselves and have the humility to stand naked with their vulnerability and say, oh yeah, this is a part of me that feels this right now, but I'm still awesome. So in my own personal example, once my emotional intelligence was heightened and my executive presence was rising, I was able to go inside myself and say to myself, yeah, I'm feeling threatened right now. This part of me feels threatened right now, but then think about the other part of you. Go back to the strengths column. But you know, I am really good at strategy, and this is me being called to also be good at listening and caring when I'm using my strength of strategy. You see the humility there? We don't have to be perfect. We can say where this strength is showing up and calling out a weakness that can be dealt with because of the fear behind it being a story, a story we tell ourselves that is not an edict or a fact, that fear is the imagination. Now, in the fourth column, you want to write down what you can do when you feel a strength might become a weakness. So one of the tactics that I teach my clients then that I often use is, like I had said, oh, this is just that part of me. And give yourself a moment to pause, take a deep breath and say, but there's also a part of me that can blank. So maybe this strategy of, quote, part of me is something that you can do, but maybe there's something more intrinsic to you, more authentic to you a practice that you use when you feel you are called away from that which is truly your authentic self. This is where you gain power. This is where you gain that ability to self-regulate. And in this instance, you have the trifecta of happiness. The three things that I talk about often. Number one, you have self-awareness. Number two, you have the ability to self-regulate that fear, that negative belief, those thoughts that are stories that hold you back. And number three, you have self-acceptance in this state because you have power in how to unravel that gnarled up, naughty, nasty feeling that holds you hostage. Now, Understanding other people's motivations gives you more power. You know, when we go to the supermarket, we have our own individual ways of shopping. My style is much different than my husband's, so much so that he doesn't even want to take me to the store because he's German and he makes a list and he goes and he gets only what's on the list. And I'll be stopping in the produce pile and picking up flat leaf parsley versus curly leaf parsley. 
And he will stand there and say, is that on the list? So we know as much as we love each other dearly and enjoy being together and are the loves of each other's lives, sometimes our motivation styles are different, which might mean that maybe we want to shop separately. And if we're shopping together, we go into the store and we say, look, we know we have two different styles here. That's okay. You go get these things and I'll go get these things, right? Some people like to do their grocery shopping as quickly as possible. They consider it a successful experience when they found all the items they needed in as little time as possible. And other people carefully plan their grocery shopping. That's my husband. I'm not a, so much of a planner in the grocery store. They make lists. They visit each aisle of the supermarket in a specific order. And they organize their coupons by product category to ensure they don't miss any deals. For these people, a successful shopping experience means they found the items and brands they wanted at the right price, even if shopping took a little bit longer. No, that's not my husband. He wants to be in and out. Another group of people see the supermarket as a treasure trove to be explored, and I sometimes do this guilty here. They show up with a list and meander up and down the aisles, checking out new products and choosing items on impulse. This drives my husband crazy. <laughs> For these folks, a successful shopping trip is not so much about whether they found the right things to buy, but whether they discovered something new and exciting. If these various shoppers went to the store together, there would more than likely be some conflict. And if they had my husband with them, they would be running for the hills. <laughs> the first shopper would be halfway around the market before the second shopper even finished making their list while the third shopper would be chatting with the clerk passing out samples of cheese. We do many of the same things, but we choose to do them in very different ways, depending on what is most important to us. In the supermarket scenario, the first shopper's motive is speed, the second shopper's motive is accuracy, and the third shopper's motive probably is discovery. While behavior can easily change depending on a situation, our motivations are much more constant. People tend to have an idea of what matters most to them. And unless something major happens in their lives, they stick to that point of view. So if you understand what motivates people, you can adapt your behavior to fit with their personal priorities. How do you find out what motivates someone else? There's all kinds of science, again, tests, blah, blah, blah. But you can't do that in the moment. That's why you're building your self-awareness and your ability to self-regulate emotions that are uncomfortable for you so that you can find self-acceptance. Because when you have that, you are wicked smart in emotional intelligence. And you can forget all of those diagrams and tests and acronyms and just look at somebody, listen to them, observe them, and start to discern what smoke and mirror fear might be in the way of how they're behaving. Because if they're not joyous, if they're tense or anxious, there's something there. And when you are highly emotionally intelligent, you can create a safe space and ask questions to ferret that out, which might sound something like this. You know, I noticed that you are not yourself today. You seem a little tense. Is there something bothering you? I'm really interested. I'd like to help. I may not have the answer, but I am a good listener. So you're just setting the space, preserving the space for them 
to have their own humility because a lot of people aren't aware of how they're behaving. They don't know that they're showing up outside of themselves and you don't want to threaten them with the way that you say it to them. But when you can provide uh, continuity of compassion and understanding and curiosity, they're likely to have an opening in themselves that they couldn't have done without you. And now you're a trusted and revered soul for them. So just those couple of tips on, uh, don't worry about all of these tests and acronyms. Just listen and observe. But in order to do that well, you have to manage yourself first. So think about a grief situation. You're going to speak to someone who just lost someone they love. You have to first manage yourself, your own grief, your own identification with what it feels like to lose somebody you love. Because if you're not comfortable in that space, you can't provide that space for them to have safety in talking to you about it. You're going to come off edgy and avoiding and uh, not connecting. And the truth is, when you improve your connectivity, your relationships, something else magically happens. Your whole life feels rewarding. You see the world differently and more positively. You feel more energized, not only in those relationships, but in everything else you do, your work, your hobbies, your goals. But the process of improvement all starts with you, with you owning your own energy. You're the person who is involved in every one of your relationships. And you've got this. You're working on building your emotional intelligence. You know how to find the still space and accept yourself with all of your imperfections in that still space. And here are a couple of things I would like to share with you to reflect on. When you find the still space, when you make the time for that still space for yourself, how about choosing one way to revisit your childhood innocence today? Because in that innocence is that sweet, endearing child that lives inside of all of us. And reflect on how far you've come, how much you've learned, how much you've grown. How about driving by your childhood home? Not for any judgment reasons, not with fear in the forefront, just with an openness of awe and wonder. How about listening to a song you loved as a child? Call or sending a message to an old friend or family member? Watching a home video? Flipping through old photographs? We want to collect moments, not things. Strive for growth, not perfection. Can you think of two or three ways that you've grown as a person since you were in that home? Identify an area of strength way back when you were a child. What area of yourself as a child do you want to redefine so that you are more satisfied today? Take comfort in the notion that everything feels less important with a little time or distance. Imagine that you are looking back at your life from a ripe old age and looking down at your life from a million miles away. What would matter most from this perspective? That's the meaning of your life. What would seem small and inconsequential from this perspective? 
that's not worth your energy or fear that's laid over it as a covering in trying to protect the ego from feeling it. Distance lends enchantment to the view. Consider the ways in which you make other people's lives easier or better. Here's where you bring value in your life. It can be anything from opening doors for strangers, lending an ear to a friend. Think of two things right now that you do in this area. Who are the people that value the role you play in their lives? And what is that value? Friendship isn't a big thing, not one big thing. No, it's a million little things. And I consider you my friend and I am honored to bring you this podcast and being your friend because I think you're awesome. I have been working for the last six months on a really exciting program that my clients have asked for and my followers have asked for. It's a brand new program called Mindful Leader Satisfied Life Circle. This is a six-month group program where you have support from me, from other people in the group every day whenever you need it. It starts with immediate access to a five-module system, which I'm going to show you in a moment. But the most important part is we have weekly group coaching calls. Once a week, I am going to coach you such that other people can watch you being coached and you can watch other people being coached so you can learn from other people. This group learning is the best tool that I've seen. And I know this because I've joined several groups over the past year to see the value of it. I am amazed at what I've learned by watching the evolution of other people. And this is why I've decided to make the commitment to put together this program for you. Included in it, there are six modules that you'll get access to right away. We have the group calls. You will receive a hard copy that I will mail to you of Flow on the Go Guide. It's a planner full of all of the principles that we talk about on this podcast. There will be a private group where we can post things, pictures, questions. So every day that will be read by me and everybody else in the group. And most importantly, let me tell you the value to you. And I'm going to structure it in the five modules. There's a bonus six module, but I'm going to talk specifically about the five module training areas. Number one, you have clarity. That builds your self-awareness. You effortlessly spend time and energy on things that matter, things that serve you. You're not churning in unproductive perfectionism just to convince yourself that you're doing something rather than nothing. And you're noticed by colleagues for an open perspective now. People take notice. In the second module, you transformed out. That's self-regulation. You notice your negative thoughts immediately, face the difficult emotions you've been avoiding, reconstruct a new thought that serves you before a limiting assumption turns into a belief that latches on and holds you paralyzed and hostage from your dreams. You show up with confidence, with presence, instead of frustrated, withdrawing, or lashing out with regret. Turning to overeating or other vices, discontinue exercising or other healthy routines, or distance yourself from people, or have strained personal relationships. You're noticed by your friends and co-workers for your impulse control. Optimizing your environment is the focus of Module 3. That's where you have self-acceptance that we talk about. 
your confidence is soaring, you draw healthy boundaries around your self-concept, your time, your relationships, your work and interests, you have heightened effectiveness, shorten the time to launch, have efficacy on projects or a job search, because you're prepared with resources and connections to support you. You're not exhausting yourself on the treadmill to nowhere with more grind and hustle. In Module 4, you position your brand. Here's where you are quickly the sought-after choice for any team, project leadership, promotion, hire. You know and project your signature strengths, value proposition, personal mission, executive presence, and measurable key accomplishments. You don't waste time on what others do. Hiring resume writers, getting another degree, going to conferences, ruminating about corporate politics and cynicism and bureaucracy. You're the must-have. And in the fifth module, huge here, big on self-acceptance, you're playing big. And this is where you earn more money. You have self-mastery. You can walk into any situation, discussion, interview, meeting, and matter because you're sustainably at your best. You know how to do that and succinctly and consistently do it. You have a 30, 60, and 90-day plan and an assuredness about yourself. You have the ability to regulate difficult thoughts and emotions without the looming doubt. You see the opportunities and enjoy healthy personal relationships and healthy routines. You have certainty about you. People call you not the other way around. This is fun. It is so much fun to see the transformation in other people. And I'm now going to be able to share that with you in this group program. So head on over to my website, maryleegannon.com. And look for the details on the Mindful Leader Satisfied Life Circle. I can't wait to work with you. I'm glad you were with me today. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me.